Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 141 of the Australian Hiker podcast. And in today's episode, we're catching up with Lucy Barnard from Tangles and Tail as she makes her way north from the bottom of South America to the top of North America on an epic 30,000 kilometre journey. In today's episode, Lucy is currently in Ecuador and very shortly she's just about to make her way into uh, Colombia, which will be the last trip on the South American leg of her journey. We hope you enjoy. So, Lucy, welcome back to the Australian Hiker Podcast. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So, since we last talked to you, which was towards, um, I think it was around about October uh, 2019, so it's been a while, um, Mm -hmm. tell us where you have come to uh, over the last sort of four months. Yep. Um, I, after speaking with you, I arrived at the border of Ecuador and I followed a trail all the way through Ecuador called the Trans-Ecuador Single Track Trail. Um, and it's called that because there are two trails that have been designed to go through Ecuador for cyclists. And there's one that's for regular cyclists. And then there is another one, which I've now come to know quite intimately. And I think that if you're a cyclist and you use that trail, you would be completely out of your mind because for me as a hiker, it was really difficult. The altitudes were high and there are just some areas where you would be carrying your bike for days. (laughs) It was just (laughs) beautiful, but at times impossible and just torturous. So it's, it's, it sounds like it's a more a hiking trail that bikes are allowed to use rather than the other way around. Definitely. And actually, I got to meet the boys who designed those trails and they um, said that they expect completely that that's what that second trail will become, a hiking trail for people that want to through hike Ecuador, um, because there's not enough cyclists using it to start with. And there are some areas where you really do get stuck with your bike, especially in some areas where you drop into valleys and you have to climb back out again. Um, And they become so overgrown so quickly with the amount of rainfall here um, that it's um, you can really break the spirit of a cyclist. <laughs> well, I suppose if you if you're that enthusiastic, you'll probably find a way. But it's uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's probably a hard thing to try and do. Oh, believe you me, I had several tantrums going through some of those sections, and my spirit was nearly broken on several occasions. Just on very long days when I should have just set up my tent <laughs> when I'd seen the perfect places. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a hard thing, isn't it? You sort of uh, walk past a perfect spot and thinking, oh, I've still got a couple of hours to go and, and you never find anything as good as that one particular mm. side. Yeah, and the problem for me is that I'm always worried about running out of food and I never have. Well, I haven't for a very long time now. Um, and I think that sometimes I should just stop at those nice places and arrive into town late. But I'm obsessed with getting into town early because it's safer um, and I don't necessarily want to have to find accommodation in town. I want to get through those towns and find the next spot to set up camp. Um, and, of course, every time you finish a day short adds up. And when I'm walking against visas, um, that can be 
a problem, like it can become a problem that's just too hard for me to solve. I don't want to have to end up leaving a country and coming back and starting up the expedition again in a year's time. Now, speaking of visas, I think the last time we talked, you said that you were coming to the end of your visa as you were leaving Peru. I'm, I'm guessing you managed mm-hmm. to get out of, out of Peru at the right time, uh, did you? Or? You know, that turned out to be quite a story because I did. I got to the border um, and it was a really nice place and the um, police and the customs were really kind to me and they let me stay there um, for a couple of nights just in my tent. Um, and I am always concerned or I just like to have a bit of cushioning room so that if I have any troubles getting wombat across uh, the border that um, I can go back and see a vet or do whatever is required to get a dog across to the next country. Yeah. Um, so I crossed into the next country and it was, there was no problem at all. Like he just got, they didn't even look at him. They just, he, they just stamped me through and I continued on my way. Um, but that day the riots in Ecuador began and they shut the borders um, <laughs> in a, like a few hours after I crossed, but I crossed really early in the morning. And so had I not crossed that day, I could have ended up in a situation where I'd overstayed, even though um, there was a political issue with getting across the border. Um, But I was not aware of it at all until I reached the first major town called Vilcabamba. And then I met some friends there and the riots were beginning to really pick up and there was um, worries about food shortage and being able to access money. But where I was, I mean... They were worried, but it was really minimally impacted and I had a nice time um, spending time with a friend who I had met and had been in contact via email up until that point. Um, But I only had $3 because I didn't have any American dollars on me. I only had um, Peruvian souls. And so because I couldn't get money out of the banks, I ended up living on bread and there in the south of Ecuador there are many, many banana trees. So I just ate bananas and bread for a couple of days until I could get money out of the bank. Yeah, it's 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 funny with South America. You, the bigger cities, you've, you've got you've got an ATM and you just turn up and um, everything works well. But as you say, if you if you're in, you're in a situation where uh, you don't or can't access uh, the the banks uh, because for whatever reason, mm-hmm. it's a bit hard to, to try and actually find money. Yeah, it really can be. Um, and But, I mean, ultimately I got through Peru without having any troubles with my visa um, and then I had just under three months again to get through Ecuador because I had visited with, on a previous break with my mum. So I had to walk a little bit faster and those 10 days that I spent in Vilcabamba in that first town was eating out of precious time, precious hiking time and resting time. So again, I had this looming worry about my visa. Um, And in fact, I finished Ecuador with a week to spare. Um, But by the time I finished the trail, um, I had built up a fair few amoebas in my system and it had just gotten to the point where it was overtaking my body. So the last night of my hike I spent in an abandoned house, which they just seemed to appear at the most perfect times. Um, but I spent the whole night vomiting. It was a complete mess. And I had this terrible taste in my mouth, like a metallic taste, which is apparently um, a typical symptom. Yep. And it made me want to be even sicker. So I limped in to, to Tulkan, the final town, um, and I told some friends that I'd met in Quito that I w- was in this situation. And so they said, get on a bus and come and stay with us for a few days um, and we'll just sort your visa out for you when you get here. 
So I arrived in town. This is going to get a bit gross. Um, <laughs> but I got I got on the bus with Wombat. I got back into keto um, and I went to a doctor and I ended up doing about three or four courses of antibiotics. But the problem was I'd had food poisoning. So they treated me for that first. Then the amoebas turned up. They treated me for that. Um, then they found that I had trench foot. So I needed treatment for that. And then I just kept getting waves of this terrible stomach bloat, which again needed needed treatment. Um, and the next day I was feeling a little bit better, so I went to wash all my clothes. And if you've ever gone hiking for an extended period of time, which you have, you'll know that usually the shock of the smell of your clothes is, you know, interesting to say the least. Yep. But because I'd been so sick, I mean, it nearly set me off all over again. I don't know how the people on the bus dealt with me being on the bus because I was, it was, I was just in a terrible, terrible, terrible state. Yeah, I think that's that's often the thing. I think the, if you're going for short hikes, you know, a day or two for most people, though, even if you do get feel unwell, you can cope with it. But when you're doing what you're doing, um, you know, it's, it's a bit hard to say, oh, well, I'll just go home for a few months and have a rest. Uh, you're there. Yeah. You're, you're, you're in an environment where your food's changing on a regular basis. And, yep. and I must admit, the, the food in South America tends to be very erratic. I I found that the Peruvians, the Peruvian food didn't particularly agree with me that much. Uh, but it, yeah. But it, but in, yeah. I haven't had too many troubles, um, especially because I do get to these little towns, or at least I thought that I didn't have too many troubles. So I get through these towns, I eat the local food, I go straight to these mercados, which are like a place where you can buy meat, veg, um, and your fruits. And I typically, and a lot of people won't even touch that food, but I mean, that's the choice that I have. But what I have come to learn is that um, people here tend to deworm themselves every six months. And that's just a normal process here. It's what you do because you are exposed to contaminated water and food. That's just the way it is. So I hadn't been doing that. And the chemist was quite surprised that I haven't been dewormed for, well, since I was a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I must admit, if we go overseas, or even even if I do a long a long through hike in Australia, I'll I'll deworm myself at the end of the trip, just as a matter of <laughs> a matter of precaution. <laughs> it's um, such a strange concept to me. Even now, I'm not used to it, but I will start doing that now that I've learnt. Um, and the people here in Ecuador have been really kind to me. And again, you know, I got into um, keto, and as I said, I only had a week left on my visa. So in the end. I was ill and I went into immigration and there's a special line for people that just want to extend their holiday visas and it's just, you know, like less than an hour process. Yeah. But I was too unwell to go around running to the bank and paying for the extension and blah, blah, blah. So they told me I had a month's grace period and that I could just come back um, when I was ready to extend it. But the, but I couldn't leave the country because once that visa expired, um, if you try and leave, then you do get into trouble without the extension. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So you so you so one way or the other, they 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 get the extension fee out of you. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, they were really like the immigration, the staff at immigration were really good. They could see that I was under the weather, so they walked me from one place to the next, knowing that my Spanish also wasn't that good, and um, just really took care of me. So it was, you know, and that's been a theme running throughout the whole of my walk. Um, there's always someone there ready to help you when you need it. That sounds good. All right, so tell us about hiking in Ecuador. 
Oh, it's definitely my favourite country so far for the hiking. And I think probably because there's this trail that runs the whole way through the country. Um, and it starts off um, where I've gone from being in Peru with these open grassy fields, uh, moving straight across a river and into jungle where there are lots of bananas and strange sounds and more animals I haven't heard for a really long time. It's nice to have that presence of life nearby Um, but what also came with moving into the jungle of course is the rain so I was um, getting rained on after lunch pretty much every day Um, but at the same time it's just so beautiful and you can forgive the rain because it's just so stimulating walking through such a beautiful country so I popped into this first town and then um, I walked up into some mountains following an Incan trail because those trails run all the way up to Colombia in parts, but the further north you go, the harder they are to find. So I came across some beautiful ruins that um, not many people get to see because they are so remote. Um, and then from there I started crossing into volcano country. So just imagine, I mean, one of the biggest well, the largest volcano in South America is Chimborazo and um, it's covered with snow. It's beautiful. It's the closest point on earth to the sun. Um, but because of the weather, I didn't see it while I was walking past it because I was just in fog the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's good when you do hikes uh, like that, isn't it? You know there's something there, you just can't pick it up. Well, you know what? I got out I got out of the valley and I looked behind me and I got to see a view of it then, which I was really pleased to do because I was cranky all day that I hadn't seen it. Um, and then I continued north and the country just continued being as spectacular. And the next um, very famous volcano I passed called Cotopaxi was out in its full glory the days that I walked past. There was no clouds. It was just beautiful. I got some great photos. Um, and after I passed through that region, I went through the final stretch, which becomes jungly again. And there was one section where I could hear monkeys. It was really, it was really cool. Um, okay, so um, you, I think before you mentioned when you were just about to enter Ecuador that there are some fairly high mountains there as well. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I spent most of my time above three thousand meters, which is quite manageable, and then. It, Um, Once you get above 3,500, you really start to feel the altitude, especially if you haven't had much experience with altitude climbing. Um, And so once I'm above, once I'm heading towards that 4,000 meter mark, that's really when I slow down and I notice that I'm doing only about two kilometers an hour. The trade-off, of course, is that it's really beautiful and you don't mind so much. But when you're walking along old trails or horse trails or these mud tracks that are just full of fresh rain (laughs) and slippery, um, the days can be long. What do you you call long? What time time are you starting and what time are you finishing? I like to start at first light. I, I mean, when you're on these trails, you, you have to be able to see because you're navigating and the trails aren't always obvious. Um, so let's say I'd be start I'd start walking at about six o'clock or six thirty, um, and then I would finish at around six p.m. So a twelve hour walking day with maybe half an hour rest. Um, if I was in a stretch where the distance between towns was long and I was worried about food. So have you gotten rid of the, 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 the extreme heat or is it you, you've now shifted to, to just hot and humid? 
Yeah, there were a couple of places that were quite hot. Um, definitely dropping into the beginning of Ecuador was very hot. But once you're in the mountains, it's cool unless it's not raining and there's no cloud cover and then it can get just really, really uncomfortable. Um, so I have – and when I continue, I have two mountain ranges left, so two two crossings at about 4,000 metres, so think quite cold. But once I drop out of those, again, it's going to – be challenging this year particularly because i'm going to be spending a lot of time in the heat so your, your next stop after leaving ecuador is um colombia uh, and looking mm-hmm. at looking at the online map um you know, there seems to be a couple of options you can either take the long route or the short route um so mm-hmm. how long is it going to take you to get through colombia yeah, well, there's a famous bike trail, but it's 4,000 metres, and I really I don't need to go that far through Colombia. My trail is about 1,300, and so I should be there by – or I should be at the, the end of Colombia by mid to late May. Okay, sorry. When you say metres, is that altitude or, or you mean, you mean kilometres? Did I say metres? Sorry, yes. Yeah. 1,300 kilometres. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a, that's a short walk. Yeah, totally. Got through that in no time. <laughs> um, now, what's uh, what are the worries with Colombia? And, and I know I've, I've never been to Colombia, but everything I read, everything I hear, from a security point of view, Colombia seems to be the country that most people worry about. Is, is that does, the case? It does, doesn't it? Um, look, I've spoken to some people that live there and have adventured through there, and they say that, yeah, there are some risks, but that it's nothing like what people um, will tell you that it's like, especially because, I mean, there is some old there's, – there's history there and it used to be a pretty high-risk country and now not so much. But actually I'm really looking forward to it now because I've had a lot of people say to me, no, I know a lot of people are, are trashing Colombia, but actually the people are really nice here and um, you're probably going to like it more than any other country you've been in so far. So having heard that now from fellow female travellers and male travellers alike, I'm, I'm really getting excited to get into there. Now, before we, uh, we started this interview, you were saying you're going to have a lot of road walking in Colombia? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all road. I think it's going to be all road until um, the United States. Yeah, I suppose there's, um, as, as, the, as the countries start narrowing a bit, there's, there's probably not, not three or four different routes you can choose from. There's probably a route that most people tend to do. Yeah, yeah, and I'll take advice like I usually do from off-road cyclists. They're usually the ones that have the best information. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I can't really see. Uh, Security-wise as well, it's just better to be on, on the roads instead of in the mountains from here on out. Um, and so that means I'll be looking at a year and a half of walking along roads. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be ugly highways. Um, I have a trail through Mexico, for example, that's going to be really beautiful and it's following the countryside and it's going to be kind of remote like I enjoy. Um, But it's just a different style of walking and it'll be difficult, I think, mostly because Wombat will have to be on a lead and he likes to be free. Is that just from a point of view of that he doesn't get, get himself run over or? Exactly, yeah. I, I have to be quite careful. And, I mean, if it's a quiet, if I'm walking and I can see that it's quiet and there's not many ro- uh, cars coming past, then I do let him off. But I just can't afford to ha- risk him having one moment of distraction and making a, a silly error and getting himself really hurt. So uh, how, is, uh, how is Wombat going? 
No, really good. He's a bit bored right now because I've been on an extended break. I take a break like this once a year to get my logistics sorted. Um, but he does have some friends here, some dog friends that he's been playing with. And my friends that I'm staying with are um, high-energy, dog-loving people. So they are happy to play tug-of-war with him and helped help me to tire him out. So I believe you've, uh, you or he has picked up a friend over the last uh, last few weeks. <laughs> yeah, so I've been doing some Spanish, like an intensive Spanish course to help me get better at Spanish while I'm on a rest. Um, and I that means I have to go up to bus stop and then catch a bus into town each day um, to go to class. And one morning a dog, like, you know, I'm catching a bus at five in the morning and there's this dog sitting there at the bus stop looking miserable and I just gave him a little pat on the chin and then it seems that he waited for me to get home and followed me home. <laughs> and he was starving. I mean, he's been here now for about two weeks and he's put on a lot of weight and he's very um, opportunistic about food and he'll push the dogs out of the way. But he's getting better now and he's looking much healthier. Is, is that him in the background there? or No, that sounds like Wombat. That's the bark he makes when the other dogs don't want to play with him and he just keeps going at them until they give in and play. (laughs) All right. Um, Now, you mentioned um, uh, uh, to me before we started talking that you're looking at at some stage sending Wombat back home. Is that the case? Well, when I finish, I want him to come home with me. So, um, But that's not just a matter of arriving to Alaska and jumping him on the plane with me. Um, to come back into Australia, there are quite a, a number of um, rules and regulations that you need to follow. And one of the most obvious ones being anti-rabies um, precautions. So for any dog coming into Australia that is not in a rabies-free zone, you need to um, have their bloods checked. And it's a six-month process um, of making sure that there isn't any residual uh, rabies um traces within their blood system and then you've got to continue giving them the anti-rabies vax and once that starts to be processed six months beforehand then you need to apply for a permit so if you miss your deadlines it can mean that you're ending up waiting in your final destination for up to six months before you can come home with your dog and you have to travel with the dog yeah i must admit you if for most people you tend not to think of the logistics of, of traveling with a dog you you think about your own visas and passports and and air, airplane tickets, but uh, having a, having an animal of some sort uh, tends to complicate things a bit more. Yeah, it does. And also, I mean, they need to sit in customs for uh, or quarantine for 10 days and that needs to be booked in. So there's a lot of moving parts and if you neglect one of them, I mean, you're going you, to – the error is going to cause significant time delays. Yeah. All right. So, what what were the uh, what were the highlights for you over the last four months? Oh, um, definitely um, walking through areas where there are wildlife. That was really exciting for me because I've always been an animal lover. Um, and passing through volcanoes is a real wow in terms of scenery. Um, but then there were just little things that happened this year. So I arrived late after going the wrong way and getting lost into a little town and I was standing in a bread shop and these people walked in and one of them said, are you Tangles? 
And it was just really exhilarating to have them so excited to run into me because I am always off the grid and it isn't likely that people are going to see me unless they are hiking in these remote places as well. So that was really fun. And then another thing that happened like that this year was that um, there's a mum who's been following me for some time and she dobbed her son in to bring me a lot of stuff. (laughs) Um, And so meeting him was really exciting too because um, it's nice to meet people from back home but also um, uh, at that point I had like um, sole blisters on my feet that were the same size of my feet. You know, they ran all the way along because my shoes were waterlogged and my feet had just been wet for days and days in a row because I couldn't, I didn't have dry socks and I couldn't get my shoes dry. So I think those moments of running into people and just really feeling the love really re-energized me this year. Yeah. Oh, and also, well, I can't believe I've not mentioned this. Um, I crossed the equator. So that was really exciting. So now I'm in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, where, where does the where does the equator the equator goes through uh, Ecuador? Does it or uh... it does? It's just north of Quito. Um, so I mean, it's not halfway in terms of the kilometres of getting all the way up to Alaska, but who cares? That's a big milestone, and um, I think I that marks me as the first woman to have walked the length of the Southern Hemisphere. Well, congratulations! Thanks. <laughs> Okay, so um, from a, a long-term point of view, you're going to be spending, you rough, what, roughly about three months getting through Colombia? Yeah, um, so it's actually a bit easier to extend your visa in Colombia, but the aim is three months. If I can get away with not extending, I will I'll keep I'll keep pushing through, especially because once your legs are warmed up, you know, I've been stopped for about 10 weeks now and I know that there will be consequences on my body and I'm going to have to build up um, on some of my muscles that give my knee grief if I don't. And once you get into that walking rhythm, cutting that, cutting off your rhythm is um, not ideal because then you have to go through all of those teething problems again. So I'll push, push, push right through till about July when my cousins are going to come and meet me in Costa Rica. All right. And, uh, and you're aiming at, uh, Mexico city by the end of 2020. Yeah. I want to be there for Christmas. I mean, I've always wanted to see Mexico city. Um, I am excited about the colors and the customs for Christmas. Um, so if I can be there by the end of the year, I'll be really happy. Um, but more than anything else, that timeline will get me to the United States just in time for the perfect season of hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. I was thinking that was about right because, I mean, really you, you, want, to, you want to sort of start. <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> it just happened. Um, and then that means that I will also arrive in Alaska in summer, which is nice, but I can't finish that final leg until winter once the oceans freeze over and um, when all the bears are asleep. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you start becoming getting different problems up there, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Just these things that you never think of, deworming yourself, being eaten by an anaconda, not, not <laughs> something that goes through your head living the day-to-day life in Australia. All right. Um, so any last uh, last thoughts before we, we finish off uh, for the interview? No, I just think that it will be really interesting to see how I go this year. I've really started to pick up my kilometres over the last year and I've gotten a lot better at goal setting. So um, I think this year can either be really, really great 
Um, or I guess there could be some holdups, but I am really excited for the year and I'm just pleased to be still out here. That's that's good. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty unique, and it's it's good to be able to follow along and see how you're going. Yeah. So we've been talking to Lucy Barnard, uh, who is progressing her trip from the bottom of South America to the top of North America. Thanks for your time, Lucy. Thanks for having me. So that was our recent catch up with Lucy from Tangles and Tail. Uh, and as we are talking to her, she is only about a week or two from starting her journey back up again. So we just wanted to talk about some of the stuff that Lucy went over uh, on the this leg of the trip, which was through Ecuador. Uh, and it was interesting. The I, I knew there was a large trail that went through Ecuador, but didn't know what it was. And she was talking about the Trans-Ecuador Single Track Trail. Uh, and I've got a link to that in the show notes on our website for that, if for those that are interested. Um, <laughs> and the photo of the uh, the cyclist carrying his 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 bicycle. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the front page of the website uh, is is got is, as Jill said uh, a, a photo of a guy carrying his bicycle across a, a log over a, a small stream. So it's as she said, it's probably one of those hikes or one of those walks that even though it's a cycle trail is probably more suited to hikers. And I know, I know I've uh, heard from and talked to a lot of hikers who have done this trip and it seems to be gaining popularity. One of the things that Lucy talked about was uh, when to stop for the day. And this is a topic that I've been working on over the last few weeks uh, and we'll look at it for either a podcast or a written article for the website. Um, for a lot of people, you, know, you stop at a planned campsite and if there's a a designated stopping point that makes it easy uh, but in this case here where you've you've got a much larger journey planned or there's no designated campsite you know you start thinking about well do I stop in town do I stop outside of town and Lucy obviously has a a list of criteria that she looks at uh, but as she said sometimes it's like oh, maybe I should have stopped before town and unfortunately it comes down to hindsight you really don't know in a lot of cases that oh the best campsite was 10 kilometers ago uh, and I've had campsites like that where I've stopped and gotten up the next morning and 200 metres on was a brilliant campsite. Yeah. But, yeah. I, didn't, but I didn't know that until the next day. So um, it's, a, it's an interesting concept to go through and think about. Yeah, and I think because she's also um, wanting to catch uh, the food, you know, she went, mentioned that she powers on uh, into the town so that she can make sure that she can um, – uh, pick up her food and and do that sort of stuff. That probably drives her, I, I suspect, much more than we would rea realize or appreciate. And it's not as if you can, you know, go go down the local take takeaway or um, you've got a short trip in a car or something like that to to restock and refuel. So um, I was interested when um, you know uh, she was talking at the end uh, about. Um, the, the journey and when she was going to get to certain places. And um, it does appear that she does a lot of planning, uh, but she's assuring us that that's not the case. <laughs> uh, there must be some, but, you know, yeah. Um, she talked about visas. And, again, it's it's usually something that if you're going to a country overseas, quite often you think about 
You might need a visa to get into the country. So if you're going to the USA, as an example, you might need a tourist visa. Uh, but when you're dealing with something that's going to take two, three, four, five years, um, the whole concept of visas becomes a lot more critical. Um, yeah, and she was talking about moving into um, uh, from Peru into Ecuador uh, and having the issue of the riots. Um, and I had a look at what the riots were, and it was uh, the riots over the austerity measures. Uh, and all of a sudden, that can potentially close the border. Uh, and she was lucky that she got through on time; otherwise, she w- would have ended up overstaying where she was. Mm. So it's it's something you tend not to think about. You just think, well, I'll just get a visa and not worry about it. Uh, but sometimes, particularly in South America, having riots, having protests is not unusual, particularly for austerity measures. Uh, so it's something you need to consider. She talked about accessing money, uh, and when we travel through South America, you just go to an ATM, put your card in like you do here in Australia. Uh, but in the case of when there are riots you know, and the, the, the ATMs aren't working or they've been cleaned out or the banks are closed, sometimes you've got to try and factor that in. Um, you know, so she said she ended up living off bananas and bread for about three or four days because she had no money. Um, and it, you know, sometimes you just need to have that bit of uh, backup dollars-wise um, or else uh, be happy with eating bananas and bread. Bananas and bread. Um, one of the things she mentioned, and it was interesting to hear, was about getting ill on the trail. And, you know, as she said, it, this was probably more detailed than you really needed to know. I didn't need to know about the trench <laughs> foot. <laughs> um, but, you know, given the, the, the length of the trip she's doing and the fact she's in, in countries where um, you know, the sanitation may not be as good uh, or, you know, the fact that she's hiking and, and, and sleeping outdoors for long periods, um, as I said, I if I'm doing a, a through hike, as a matter of course, I do worm myself when I come back, uh, just as a precaution. Um, I have had Giardia in the past, which is one of the amoebas. Yes, we know, Tim. Um, we know. So it's it's the sort of thing that you know, it sounds like everything seemed to hit her at once. Mm. Uh, she had a combination of of worms, amoebas, uh, <laughs> trench foot, um, uh, and you know everything and everything and anything. Uh, so she, you know, she went through a period where she, she really wasn't very well. Yeah, you know, and I think if you think about yourself and, and how many times you get a bit of a cold and a sniffle in a year, I mean, she's out, out there for a long period of time, you know, do, doing it pretty tough. So, you, you know, you probably don't think about getting sick, but there, there'd be days when, you know, she might not even be impacted by the worms, the amoeba in the trench foot, but she just might feel, you know, a bit ordinary, a bit under the weather and uh, she's got to keep going. So that's that's the sign of a real, um, a tough spirit and a, and a real athlete. So she talked about hiking in Ecuador in general uh, and the thing that she sort of stood out was the changes in vegetation from open grasslands to, to forest or, or jungle that, that had monkeys in it. And again, I don't know what it is. I know there are monkeys in South America and, and, you, know, and you think of the Amazon, but when you think of Ecuador and places like that, you tend not to associate it with being jungle. I um, do. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I, I do. I, I suppose I tend to think about it being more about the mountains, which you know certainly the altitude is there. So it's it's just one of those things that you have in your mind, and it's when you when she talks about this, I um I was actually reading an article on Ecuador uh, yesterday, um, just after I'd talked to Lucy, uh, and it was talking about the fact that there are at least eighty hippopotamus 
uh, in, in Ecuador rivers, thanks to Pablo Escobar, the, the drug lord, who when he when he was caught and collected, all the animals got turned loose. So again, hippopotamus in South America, they're theirs. Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully she doesn't see one of those. Um, so, I, I liked hearing about the Inca trails and um, uh, the ruins that she came across. There probably wouldn't be too many people who would have experienced that. Um, so that's kind of interesting. I also. Um, you know, Lucy just has this joy about her and, um, y- you know, when people came up to her and said, you know, are you Tangles, um, you know, she just doesn't doesn't think of the impact, I think, that, uh, you know, she's having and uh, the people that are following her. And she, she obviously enjoys hearing about it and enjoys that there are people out there who are, who are um, you know, following and supporting her. But um, I, 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 it just seems like a surprise for her, you know. It's just like, oh, oh, yes. <laughs> um, she talked about the, the volcanoes. Um, she talked about being much of the walk in, um, in Ecuador being above 3,500 metres. And that's, you know, for me, once I start getting over that, I'm a bit like her, you just tend to lose um, – I don't know, you just tend to lose that, that energy, yeah. I suppose. Well, even at um, 4,000 metres and she's, you know, travelling long distances and 12-hour days, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty serious going. Uh, and then she talked about a, a, what a typical day was like. And, again, for, for people doing long-distance hikes, you do get into a routine and you do get into a rhythm. Uh, and she mentioned a bit later on that um, – the process of stopping and starting. So she's in Ecuador uh, dealing with all the logistics before she starts off again uh, fairly shortly. Um, and, yeah, and there's always a lot of logistics. It's like or- organising new gear, uh, organising transport. Uh, and in the case of uh, uh, of um, uh, Wombat, she was talking about uh, organising the requirements for him to come back to Australia. That's probably not going to be for at least a year but, um, you know, she's having to think about those sort of things now just because it's such a long process uh, for the blood tests and the, to make sure he hasn't got rabies and everything else um, that she's got to go through and she can't leave that to the last minute. So there's a lot of long-term logistical things that while it's well and truly away, at the time's away from here, she needs to know roughly where she needs to be. So what part of the States or Alaska does she have to get all these things done with Wombat? Uh, and she did mention uh, after the interview that it's actually quite an expensive process, but she wants to bring, you know, she obviously wants to bring him back. Um, she mentioned learning Spanish, uh, and um, you know she's been in South America now for a couple of years, and, and while she's obviously picking up the words here and there, um, it's amazing. You, know, you it. For a lot of people in uh, South America, they will often speak English and you, d- you tend to get lazy because uh, they'll speak to you because their English is probably better than your Spanish. Um, but, you know, she's obviously deciding that she wants to learn Spanish and, and, and just to help her on the, the next leg of, leg of the trip, at least until she gets through Mexico. Yeah, and I think, you know, it sounds like a, a, a really, um, you know, uh, sure, surely after all this time, you know, she'd be... Uh, good enough uh, in terms of her Spanish to to be able to communicate. But, I mean, the thing that we found when we're travelling in South America is that um, from country to country, uh, the variations in Spanish, uh, the the speed and the intonation changes. 
And uh, there are a couple of times when, you know, we left uh, one country, Peru in particular, thinking how fantastic we were, uh, being able to speak Spanish and engage with the locals. At least maybe they were too polite to say anything, I don't know. Um, and then, you know, you end up in somewhere like uh, Bolivia and it just doesn't cut it. No, it's, it's, <laughs> you it's, cannot it's, communicate. <laughs> it's, it's almost a totally different language and it's yeah. like, okay, well, that's fine. Yeah. We'll, we'll go from here. Now, she mentioned uh, that she's going to be heading off to Colombia soon. I think I think she was saying it's going to be roughly about the end of the first week in March, uh, and that will take her through till around about the end of May. Uh, and the plan is to keep on going at least until July when she's meeting friends um, uh, along the way and then aiming to be in Mexico City by Christmas. Uh, so that will pretty much clear her out of uh, through Central America, um, uh, including Mexico, and then on to uh, the Pacific Crest Trail in 2021. Um, now, what she was saying about the Pacific Crest Trail is even though that's the trail she will work with, she's there to do the bigger trip and it may be that she will get off that trail uh, from time to time because there are sections of the Pacific Crest Trail where you cannot take dogs and rather than, than trying to do something with wombat, she'll just take a different route, get out of the national parks where she needs to uh, and then come back onto the trail. So it's it's not going to be, she was saying that it's not going to be a purest journey of the Pacific Crest Trail. It's really about the larger trip overall is what she's focusing yeah, on. Yeah, and also she doesn't, you know, she's obviously very attached to wombat and doesn't doesn't want to leave him somewhere and pick him up again and uh, he's he. He's great company. She's talked about previously how he's good, good protection for her too. Um, uh, so yeah, I can understand why she would prefer to do that and and uh, not not take the purest route, as you put it. And he would have heard wombat barking <laughs> throughout that. Play with episode. me. Play with Over me. That episode. That's that's apparently he was outside barking at the other dogs. Now she had actually picked up another dog, uh, and this was by sheer accident. This dog had adopted her. Uh, and I think this is often the case when you get stray dogs. As soon as, as soon as you show them a bit of kindness, uh, they don't let you go. And so he was. This dog was obviously waiting for her at the end of the day and followed her back to her place. Um, and I did ask her about whether she was going to take this other dog with uh, uh, with her when she goes. And she said, as much as she'd love to, the cost of getting wombat back, the cost of getting wombat back to Australia was prohibitive. Let alone a second dog. And she said, thankfully, the people she's staying with in Ecuador have fallen in love with this dog and they're going to be keeping uh, keeping this dog. So it, it'll be happy and fed from there. Um, so I think overall, um, uh, the highlights that she mentioned were things like the scenery overall, including the volcanoes. Um, as Jill said, being in the middle of nowhere uh, and being recognised. So it's... Um, uh, I know from time to time I'll be doing a random hike and someone will recognise who I am. Uh, and it is, even though you know you're on social media, it is still a bit of a surprise and you do tend to appreciate it. Uh, and she mentioned crossing the Crossing the equator, equator. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, I, I tended not to think about that at all. I knew that it was roughly there somewhere, but uh, she's saying she's just almost done about 10,000 kilometres. So she still has a way to go yet. Um, but she sounds like she's picking up pace. Yeah, like, and it's and it's great. And you know that crossing the equator must have been such a joy, such a exciting thing to do. Because you know those you'd be looking, you'd co- be constantly looking for those um, milestones along the way. You know, more than ten thousand kilometers crossing the equator. 
um, yeah, counting the count countries as you go, that sort of stuff. It, that'd be definitely the stuff that would keep me going. Okay, so we hope you've enjoyed this catch-up with the Lucy and Wombat uh, as they continue their journey north uh, on the length of the world. Uh, we will catch up with you again uh, at least once or twice later this year and, and we'll continue to follow along with Lucy as she, she goes through her trip. Uh, in next week's episode, episode 142, we're going to be discussing what to pack for a day hike. Uh, uh, so keep an eye out for that. One final thing just to finish off, uh, just to help promote uh, these podcasts with Lucy, uh, as well as the Australian Hiker podcast in general, let your friends know uh, who might be interested in even in Australian Hiker or in Lucy's journey overall. Uh, and to help get the message out there, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcast, iTunes, or your podcast listener of choice. Okay, so that's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me. Thanks very much for listening. We hope you enjoy. That's all for me. Bye from now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Try again.